When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Here at the Black Information Network, we know how important it is for you to start your week off energized, engaged, and enlightened. There are always major stories that break over the weekend, and we feel you should know about the ones we are talking about today. So stay tuned for our weekend recap, featuring author of the book, Trap History, and executive editor of Atlanta Daily World, Mr. A.R. Shaw. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. Now I'm your host, Ramses Ja. All right, A.R. Shaw, welcome back to the show, man. How you doing? Man, it's great to be here, man. A lot has gone on since we last spoke, so oh, yeah. I'm definitely ready to get into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So let's not keep the people waiting. First up, there's been a lot of headlines covering the mass shooting and, of course, the aftermath. In particular, some details about the the, the gunman, uh, the, the main mass shooter. So new information that came out is that he tried to buy a silencer um, some months before the the Lewiston shooting, he tried, but he wasn't successful due to a self-incriminating answer on a form, according to the store owner. Uh, so his name is Rick LaChapelle, who's the owner of Coastal Defense Firearms. He said, quote, he came in and filled out the form. He checked off the box that incriminated himself, saying that he was in an institution. He goes on to say, our staff was fantastic. Let him finish filling out the forms and then said, I'm sorry, Mr. Card, we cannot give you this. At this point in time, we cannot release the silencer to you because of the answers that you've given us. So this shows how strict regulation of firearms and related devices, of course, can prevent even more bloodshed. You can imagine how many more people would have died in that shooting if no one was able to hear the bullets, hear the shots. So, you know, just talk us through this a little bit. How did this hit you when you first heard about it? Yeah, definitely. It's um, something that we're definitely uh, glad that that store owner refused to give him that silencer because, like, as you said, more would have died and more would have been injured uh, during his attack. But it also uh, sheds light on the lax gun laws that are occurring in different states. Uh, Maine has they have one of the most lax gun laws in the nation where you can carry uh, an assault rifle without any permit. Mm-hmm. Uh so what they have is this thing called a yellow flag law, which 
um, makes it illegal for someone who has been in a mental health crisis to possess a firearm. However, uh, there are stipulations where it says that uh, that person has to be reported by uh, whether it's a law enforcement or a doctor to uh, to authorities. And once the authorities get it, uh, a judge has to sign off on this on this yellow flag law. So it's so many stipulations that has to occur before uh, someone is prevented from actually owning a gun who's been in a mental health crisis. But it also is just sheds light on what needs to be done um, in terms of gun laws and who and should uh, who should who should and should not be able to carry a gun. Sure, sure. And and I think to your point, this illustrates that it's easier, easier to get a gun than a silencer, you know, um, which is kind of a bizarre thing. And, you know, I'll take it a step further. I read something and, you know, I didn't confirm this. so I'm not sure if it's true, but I believe it to be true that it's easier to get Sudafed than it is to get a gun. And I think that goes to show where our priorities are and where the money in politics is. Um because there's no reasonable, rational, logical people that would look at the amount of gun deaths that uh, appreciates the life and the liberty and the pursuit of happiness unencumbered by fear of its citizens that would create regulations making it more difficult to get Sudafed or silencers than it is to get a device whose only purpose is to take another life. And when you add to that all of the other ancillary elements that a lot of our more conservative leaning individuals and second amendment supporters uh tend to shift the focus onto things like mental health things like um you know uh whatever other excuses that they believe are the source of mass shootings outside of the actual gun problem that we do have um you start to realize that this is a problem that is uniquely American, you start to realize this is a problem that is very fixable and you start to realize where the problems lie. Again, money in politics, um, politicians being, you know, propped up by the gun lobbyists and the gun industry and the NRA. And, you know, the rest of us have to live with a little bit more fear. I was over the weekend, I was in a crowded space and I remember having the thought two or three times, and it's not the first time, you know, but every time there's a, a an incident like this, every time I'm in a crowded space, I always think, you know what, I probably shouldn't be here just in case, you know, and I realized that that's kind of silly. But the fact of the matter is that we live in a in a world where what happened yesterday can just as easily happen tomorrow because there are no changes. And when there are changes, they're certainly not as substantial enough to caused the majority of us to feel safer. And so I appreciate your insight into that. Um, and uh, unfortunately, this is just kind of another page in the mass shooting book that we have in the United States. Um, I, I don't know if there's a silver lining here, because while it's not a school shooting, it still was, you know, young people. So it's horrible, awful. But uh, as always, we'll continue to monitor the stories. And if you want more information, you can check uh, BINnews.com. Uh, moving on. Um, 300,000 student loan borrowers received monthly bills with the wrong amount. Now, normally I'd paint the picture for the benefit of our listeners, but you literally wrote <laughs> the article on this. So why don't you tell us what happened here? 
Yeah, so the rollout for the uh, return of student loan payments have has really gotten off to a shaky start. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, uh, we can go back uh, since the pandemic. There has been this period where uh, student loan uh, student loans have been on pause, mm-hmm. and this is the return. The return was uh, October uh, two thousand twenty three. Mm-hmm. That's the date that was set in, in place. But however, uh, what's happening is a lot of students. Uh, so former students, individuals who have student loans have been uh, given the wrong amounts and at times uh, has been doubled the uh, the amounts that they were uh, required to pay monthly. And so it's, it was a glitch in the system. There's a lot of things that, that has taken place since uh, that that uh, that pause has taken place. There's been several companies who uh, they don't have, they no longer have uh, contracts with the government, the federal government. So. Some students have had their loans uh, placed with other companies. So Uh, that's the issue within itself. Yeah. So this whole dynamic of trying to figure out uh, what's going on in this in this entire, uh, you know, this thing of of coming back. And so we've seen the, um, you know, of course, I got a quote from the from the U.S. Uh, uh, Department of Education, and they they said that they're on it and they're looking to get things uh, back to normal, uh, hopefully by November or December. And so it's just an, it's just a uh, you know another issue that student loan borrowers have, have, have had to face over the past you know years, where you know of course the Biden administration they hoped to have. Uh, to to forgive have student loan forgiveness, but of course that was struck down by the Supreme Court uh, earlier this year, and so uh, you know it's just it's just another financial issue for a lot of uh, student loan borrowers. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings, that frustrating thing your mom does, or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot B-I-N. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. 
To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Today's guest is author of the book, Trap History, and executive editor of Atlanta Daily World, Mr. A.R. Shaw. All right. Speaker Mike Johnson explained why his adopted black son is not involved in his public life. So Johnson's communication director, Kareen Day, explained Michael's, that's his son's name too, absence in a statement to Newsweek. She's quoted as saying, when Speaker Johnson first ran for Congress in 2016, he and his wife, Kelly, spoke to their son, Michael, who they took in as newlyweds when Michael was 14 years old. Uh, She goes on to say, at the time of the Speaker's election to Congress, Michael was an adult with a family of his own. He asked not to be involved in their new public life. The Speaker has respected that sentiment throughout his career and maintains a close relationship with Michael to this day. So uh, a lot has been said about this. Um, You know, the, the new Speaker of the House has a black son that doesn't share any public life with him. Turns out that I guess, you know, he wanted to remain uh, a little bit more recessed into the uh, to the background. And so, you know, what were, what were your thoughts on some of the early comments and indeed your reaction to this story? Yeah. So Mike Johnson is, is really caught uh, flack from both sides when it comes to this issue. Yeah. Of uh, course. So, uh, several years ago, well, 2020, uh, once the uh, of course with the George Floyd situation occurred, uh, there have been several, you know, of course, politicians had, had been speaking out. Uh, and Mike Johnson was one of those politicians who actually talked about his black son. And he used <laughs> used that moment to actually uh, reveal that his, you know, his 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 son is black. And he he said uh, that his his black son has had it harder in life in comparison to his white son. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Mike Walsh, who Mike Walsh, who's a, fe- a fellow Republican, uh, he struck back at Mike Johnson, and uh, the quote was that Mike Johnson was endorsing the left's racial narrative mm. <laughs> by saying that his black son has had a harder life than his white son, mm. and so Mike Johnson has caught it on the Republican side, but he's also caught it on the more liberal side where there's they're asking why hasn't his son been in the forefront in terms of on his social media page on his website uh his son is 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 absent and so some people are speculating that he's not showing his son um for political reasons and and, and fear that it may disrupt or or uh, maybe turn off his base mm-hmm. and so uh we just see that he's he's catching both sides when it comes to this issue and we don't know what his son is, you know, his son could be, you know, a person who doesn't want to be in a public eye. So we have to respect that if that is the case, but it does seem to seem a little bit of bit fishy how Mike Johnson is using his son in certain instances, but also hiding him in terms of family pictures that he's putting out on social media. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Well, you know, I, 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 I really disagree fundamentally with a lot of what speaker johnson stands for i think he's wrong almost on every issue um and i feel like he's kind of backed himself into a strange corner and so it's really hard to find a way to support him in in his speakership right um 
he said that once upon a time, he said that his son, Michael, also opposed reparations because it defied, and this is a quote, an important tradition of self-reliance. Okay. So to me, that sounds like even though he realizes that his son faces discrimination, and even though a lot of the discrimination that black people face um, is at the hands of white people, you know, the people with the power, right? Um, and then even though black people have been disenfranchised systemically by the government of the United States, not just individuals, not just private industry, but by the government too. It's like was written as law. And a lot of the systemic, uh, the systemic oppression and marginalization that we've still faced to this day is a result of poverty, which is the result of a lot of the disenfranchisement that has taken place historically. You know, a lot of the, the issues that we deal with are born out of poverty, right? And reparations is the conversation that we need to have, or, or rather a, a war on poverty, but reparations is the easiest way to get the furthest uh, for black people, you know, and it's, it's based on a, a shared reality. Everybody agrees that slavery took place. Sure. So when you have a black child raised in a conservative white tradition where a, you have access to this black child experience as speaker, Mike has said that he has, he's like, I've seen the discrimination firsthand of my black son compared to my white son. So he realizes that this exists and then teach that son that reparations is, it flies in the face of a tradition of self-reliance when I believe our entire <laughs> history in this country is a tradition of self-reliance as a result of the country's decided agenda of disenfranchising black people why don't we have national health care oh black people will get it um why is welfare uh always under attack oh because black people get it white people get more of it sure but black people get it so then when you think of welfare queens what comes to mind and there's a reason for that they didn't say uh, well welfare uh blue collar workers at walmart they don't say that they say welfare queens like as opposed to kings you know how we kind of have that affirmation in our community, these sorts of things. So when you say that it seems a little fishy, I agree for different reasons. But I feel like what we're seeing here is, first off, every child deserves love wherever they can get it. Right. Um, but I believe that when you say things like this black child was a political prop, perhaps I'm starting to connect those dots myself, because if you bring in a black child into your house, you realize that this is going to be a black child when they become an adult, right? And that they are going to have a people that they are going to represent and indeed speak for. And you, you can't just whitewash them and say, no, they're an American because that doesn't work. They're going to live a black life as he found out. But the black problems and the black solutions, this guy has no connection to them. He's just looking at dollars and cents and not, not in terms of how does this repair the harm that has been done by this community systemically. And he's taught this to his black son, apparently. And so you start to, I, I think that makes your case for you that 
you know, this might have been something that was convenient for him once upon a time and now is less so. So um, I could see him getting it from both sides. All right. Uh, last but not least, Ice Cube took a moment on Twitter to educate a user and indeed all the users who seem to blame NWA for the growth of immorality in the black community. And this one was kind of interesting because this has been a conversation that has been had for decades now. Right. And, you know, Ice Cube, to be fair, has weighed in. They all the all the gangster rappers have weighed in at different points in time. But this feels like it's appropriate for today's conversation. So the question was, was N.W.A. part of the agenda to destroy conscious rap, which was growing in popularity at the time in order to promote sex, violence and gangster behavior among the youth? So Ice Cube took the time to remind his audience that the same negative social issues were already in place in the black and Latino communities long before N.W.A. was created. Uh, and there's a quote from him saying that crack was in the neighborhoods a decade before gangster rap. In the early 70s, they called it free base. Uh, he goes on to say, so was heroin, weed, mollies, gangbanging, drive-bys, pimping and hoeing, dropping out of school, young girls getting pregnant, cussing and using the N-word. It was all there before NWA. So um, let's get your thoughts on Ice Cube's response and your thoughts on how perhaps gangster rap may or may not have influenced uh uh, the, or have have supported rather this agenda to destroy the black community definitely um so you know being a journalist i've covered hip-hop uh throughout my career as a journalist mm -hmm. uh, wrote a book on, about hip-hop about trap music which is a genre uh that started in atlanta so i'm well versed and i've interviewed ice cube multiple times uh very uh you know talented person and, and you know some always thought-provoking um with his interviews mm -hmm. uh, but I have to disagree with Ice Cube. I think we have to really understand uh, the influence of hip hop. Now, if hip hop can influence and have an impact when it comes to style, when it comes to dress, when it comes to uh, pretty much how we communicate with each other, uh, we can't deny that the negative aspects will have an influence as well. Mm. Uh, I'm going to take an example of a couple of weeks ago, Michael Irvin, uh, who was a NFL Hall of Famer. He uh he was on a, his show uh, and he talked about his son uh, who goes by the name Tut Tarantino. I'm not sure if you heard of his story, but his son, uh, he raps about drugs, raps about uh, violence and, and gang life. And Michael Irvin called it out and said his son is was raised in a gated community, mm -hmm. <laughs> 20,000 yeah. 20, square uh, foot home. And so it's like, where did, where did this come from? And so you take this, that's a small example of someone who grew up in a gated community, but it's influenced by the negative aspects of hip hop and thought that in order to be successful in hip hop, that he had to emulate those negative stereotypes to sure. be successful. Sure. So we have to call it out and, and, and really um, understand that there's there's both sides to it. Now, uh, you know, we have to, to to really give props to what hip hop has done and, and it's hip hop 50. This is the 50th year of hip hop and, and it's impact the world. And it's really given uh, a voice to a lot of people who didn't have a voice. And it's really uh, pretty much put a light on a lot of the, the issues that some of the things that NWA was talking about, police brutality, um, 
you know, saying after police decades or, or years before Rodney King, years before George Floyd, NWA yeah. was progressive in terms of talking about police brutality. And so if if we call out and say we give them uh, props for calling out, uh, you know, the, the issues within those communities, we also have to hold them accountable so, for some of the negative aspects as well. Mm. Well, that's a that's a more than fair assessment of the situation. I think that maybe both things are are true. When we look at movies, this is my comparison I always make. When I look at movies, violent movies, you know, v- movies about war, movies about guns, movies about, you know, bang, bang, shoot them up, action movies. I realize that those are movies, those are actors. They might have all the, the muscles and they might know how to shoot the weapons because they've gone through the training. You know, they might have a dose of that reality, um, but they're actors at the end of the day, right? And movies don't influence our, our day-to-day lives. We don't consume them the way that we consume music. Music, we can play over and over again, like a chant, right? It can, it can become a part of our lives in a different way than movies can. We don't often have movies on repeat on a loop like that. Never in my life have I ever seen movies, action movies, and decided, you know what? I'm going to get these guns because I need guns. And that's what, you know, I'm going to turn up with these guns, right? But hip hop, I could see the connection between hip hop and all of the things that we've been talking about today. And so, again, I think it's up to us at the end of the day to be the deciders and to to bear in mind that these are actors or, or rappers is probably a better way to say it. And they get money not from, you know, serving the streets or bleeding the block. They get money from selling music. And if we can make that distinction, then I, I think that it reminds us and recenters us around the truths, the objective to truths in reality and kind of keeps us from indulging in the lesser, more base forms of trying to sustain ourselves. So those are my two cents. Actually, it's probably more like three or four cents, but I appreciate it because this is something obviously with a hip hop background, this is something, a conversation I've had many times. And I believe that hip hop deserves it's criticism and it deserves a defense. And so um, both things can be true. With that in mind, as always, I'd like to thank you for your brilliance, your contributions, and for today's episode, your insight. It's always a joy to have you up. And I, I can't wait until we do it again. Once again, today's guest is author of the book, Trap History, and the executive editor of Atlanta Daily World, Mr. A.R. Shaw. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show is produced by Chris Thompson. Have some thoughts you'd like to share? Use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. I am your host, Ramses Ja, on all social media. And join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on the Black Information Network daily podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.